in episode 10 of Tech It Up Talk. Tune into a discussion about leveraging technology to support English language learners with campus administrator, Ms. Elena Silva-Leal, and instructional technologist, Ms. Michelle Herod and Ms. Aralise Barreto. You ready? Here we go. The Tech It Up Talk podcast aspires to educate, inform, and inspire educators from teachers to school leaders on tips, tools, and resources to support the integration of technology into classroom instruction. You're listening to Tech It Up Talk with Dr. Mack, your host with the most passion for supporting educators from teachers to school leaders with the integration of technology into instruction. In today's show, we are discussing leveraging technology to support English learners. And as you know, there are so many schools that are challenged with growing community of English learners and implementing proper supports, resources, planning, and even managing instruction to provide them with an effective learning experience. And teachers of English learners are the first line of defense in providing them with a quality education, but are challenged with how to plan, how to differentiate for all learners, how to adhere to administrative expectations and testing requirements while still having to be culturally sensitive to meet the needs for all students. So in this episode, I am honored to have three guests who will be joining me in a discussion about challenges schools face, our English learners and teachers are facing and how we can leverage technology to support those challenges and enhance teaching and learning experience. So I'd like to give a warm welcome to my guest today, Ms. Michelle Herod, Ms. Elena Silva-Lial, and Ms. Arlis Barreto. So I'm gonna welcome you guys on and I'm switching now. So thank you guys for joining me today. It is a pleasure to have you all. If you can just quickly introduce yourselves and give us a little bit about your background before we begin. All right, well, I'll go first. My name is Michelle Herod, and um, I am a uh, former ESL teacher. And so I have that experience definitely of how are we lurking, because I was directly in the classroom before I became a specialist, first an elementary science specialist, but then it ultimately evolved into becoming an instructional technology specialist or ed tech, whichever way you want to put it. So we have been looking at how do we reach all learners, but definitely one to deal with, especially today, is how does the English language learner learn virtually in an optimum, and have an optimum experience. So I'll go next. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Right. My name is Ariel Barreto, and um, I'm also an e have a bilingual ESL background. I was personally also as an ESL when I was growing up into, into school as well. So I do have that background experience of going through the whole process of being an L personally and now teaching to those students. Um, yes, I've done elementary a lot too, several grade levels, several content. So I definitely have the experience when it comes to teaching us and leveraging the, the learners for them as well. And now I currently as well teach um, as a specialist, you know, in the department where I'm currently at as a, also educator in instructional technology. <laughs> All right. My name is Elena Silva-Leal. I too have been in education for quite a while with different roles uh, for about 21 years, everything from pre exactly pre-K to <laughs> middle school to high school. It literally was, I needed a, a little bit more of a challenge every time. So I was like, oh, I'll do a little bit older kids. Oh, I do a little bit older kids. The high school holds my heart. Um, and then, uh, so for me I, in the classroom, I didn't necessarily work specifically with ESL. I worked 
with ESL in the content area. So I not only had students with ESL backgrounds, not just one language, multiple languages, but I had your non-ESL um, non students as well. Um, so that was really exciting. And then from moving from a campus, I went into also uh, district office um, supporting multiple campuses. And um, now I'm back on a campus, specifically serving ESL students because frankly, I miss the kids. All right, well, it's a pleasure to have you all on today to share your knowledge and your expertise to help better inform and educate other educators enhancing their instructional practices, their systems and their functionality, especially during this time period. And the goal of this episode is really to discuss how we can leverage technology to support our English learners. And of course, as we know, COVID-19 has had such a major impact on education and so many teachers have had to rapidly adjust their instructional practices, their instructional schedules from different instructional models, from face-to-face -face instruction to a virtual hybrid or concurrent teaching environment. And so, um, and we still have to support the various needs of our students today. And so we're gonna go ahead and jump in and talk about like what were some challenges that you saw before COVID um, that were faced by teachers and schools prior to COVID-19? Hmm. Well, let me jump in on this one because I think we'll all agree with saying resources. Everyone keeps saying, what kind of resources do I have? And when I was an ESL teacher, uh, and I think uh, Arelis and Elena can also attest to this, I knew enough of the language because I do have, I mean, my I, I'm half Mexican, half Filipino. So I know enough language to be dangerous, or I did then. I know way more now. And But the thing is, it's that, that language of survival versus language academic language is definitely what resources do we have? Because we have district ones, but then teachers were constantly searching those out and then taking that to the to now the digital level. We'll get into that more later. But I think before it's just pretty much that. You ladies want to add into that one? Well, and I think also, and, and not necessarily thinking just as an, with the ESL, um, like the English, and when you think of secondary, um, but just really teachers knowing and understanding the different language proficiency levels that there are. And then once you know what they are, okay, now what? How does instruction, how do I scaffold for each single level without watering down for one and you know making sure I'm building so that I can build this student to move forward and then also understanding, you know, even within your levels, when you think of your beginner level, so you have beginner, intermediate, advanced and advanced high. When you have beginner intermediates, a lot of them are what you call a long-term. So a teacher then also has to know and recognize, okay, if you have a, a student that's been in L for more than four years, they're, they're, we've got to start looking at what else could it be? It might not be a language issue. So resources, I, I completely agree with you, but then it's also just that knowledge base of what do I do with every language uh, level? Right. Yes, I totally agree. I was about to say also that too, the proficiency levels. Um, also adding it to that, I also think that a lot of times the students feel very shy, especially when they're big uh, newcomers. Mm -hmm. So they're very shy on top of everything that's being bombarded to them with the new language and new culture of them. So a lot of times they're the shy ones, the quiet ones, and they go to that silent period a lot of times where they don't want to speak, but they're learning and they want to get to know more their level of English and they have mastered, but they, they're shy because everything is too much for them. So obviously I think also that's one more factor added to 
to on top of all of this <laughs> to them. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, you know, now that we already had those challenges in place and to have a pandemic come in and disrupt education completely. So like what are, I guess, some newer challenges that we're starting to see teachers, students and schools start to face now? Well, I think. Oh, yeah. And I think all of us feel that felt that immediately with um, being in instructional tech. Suddenly we're like, oh, hey, we need to explain to everybody how to use this stuff. And it's how to use this stuff in a language that a you or your family is going to understand and be. Do you have the device so that you can interface with your with your teachers in your school uh, that is going to be viable enough to have, you know, robust instruction, because a lot of them started in the spring, last spring, this time last year, um, we were just getting started with this conversation, but a lot of instruction got started on phones. And that, that personally made me just cringe on how can we have this tiny device to do that? And I think that was the biggest part of the transition. How do we get everybody on an equitable level? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Oh, go ahead, Annalise. <laughs> no, I think adding to, you know, yes, tool is great because you can, we can do so much more with it. But also, in a way, I feel like it's it's not hindering, but like adding more to like of being, you know, secretive in a sense, because like students, OK, I'm in the background. I just have to turn off my camera and you cannot see my face. You cannot see really am I understanding what you're giving me as an instruction when you're doing your, uh, your instructions or you're checking for understandings. I could just have Googled something and then you might think like, oh yeah, I know the answer. Okay, this kid's good. But the reality, it's like helping some, but also you have to be realize how the students are when they're live with the lesson. So I feel like that's also part Absolutely. of it. <laughs> I'm going to agree wholeheartedly because, you know, just language, just teaching in general, right? We, we when you're standing in front of, of a room full of children, you're reading the room. That's how you check for understanding. You're seeing the faces. When you see that glazed over look, you're like, hold yes. on. Now <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know I have to check right here. I got to pause. <laughs> well, when, when you're, you know, you've got a, a laptop, uh, you know, sometimes they don't turn on those cameras. And so now the teacher then has to be very strategic and very specific as to how they check for understanding with all of the students. Okay, now let's add a language barrier where, like Arelise mentioned, it's there's an emotional disconnect um, and, and so you've got all those different components that a teacher has to, to contend with and make sure she's building relationships. And then to Michelle's point with devices, you know, as the administrator that was over the device distribution for secondary, secondary was a whole lot easier because we were one-to-one already, uh, except for those freshmen coming in. Cause we had to really teach them. It was a matter of, of making sure we taught them how to log on, how to do your basic functions, because no, a laptop is not a cell phone. I can get to Snapchat, WhatsApp, and all those other cool things. <laughs> but it's different when you're using your technology for something professional, like your schoolwork. So it's making sure that they know how to do this and troubleshooting. And like, what do you do when something's not working? So absolutely, guys, those are huge and it's just a matter of like, how do you as a teacher um, really kind of and, and an administrator too, because it's not just the teacher. How do you all just kind of build the student? I want to jump back in on that troubleshooting piece, because that is, you know, the the number one thing is uh, that we've had to do. And um, I know that Adelis and I have had the fun of doing this in two languages of how do you support the learner in troubleshooting, but then also the family because, and keeping the family informed because now that, you know, when we first started this and a lot of our students are still virtual. So the family is involved in being part of the education, 
but they're trying to help the student if there is the mic's not working, the device isn't working, I can't log into X, Y, and Z. So, you know, explaining all of these systems in two languages, if you can do it in two languages, because we're assuming Spanish, but like as Elena alluded to before, those are just two of the, what, 90 some bazillion languages that are here in the United States. So. Right. You know, we, we can do it in that. And then we're Googling, how do you say, you know, check for this in this screen in some other language? You know, that that makes it even more fun. Fun. Anyway. <laughs> well, with that said, so let's talk about what are some things that systems or, or some systems that schools should have in place to kind of help support and facilitate this process? You have to know your community, and yes. we, you know, for sure. And so we, you know, I... I have the joy of, of uh, you know, supporting about 48 campuses right now. And I know that with those, I've had to look at the breakdown to say, okay, yeah, Spanish is number one, but knowing that there is a Vietnamese community, there is a, you know, Filipino community, there is, you know, and within the Hispanic community, there are communities of, uh, yeah, they speak Spanish, but some speak also other tribal languages. So knowing who who's speaking what to get the supports to have, uh, basic needs met as well as academic needs met is 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 key i think that's the, the first thing that comes to my brain so that we can go okay how are we translating so you know what to expect and then we can get to the school stuff so it's it's not just academics it's how do we get through this life together definitely adding to that um uh, one thing that i'll also add to is just having like some sort of open labs for parents where they come in they, they get some basic skills you know, how to help the student, their child be able to log in successfully, be able to kind of just know the basis of where to go from and where to do their assignments. And, you know, just that would also at the beginning, will, you know, every school year, every semester, whatever, would definitely help. Or if they have new students coming in throughout the school year, have some labs in between throughout the year where they're teaching those parents those basic skills. And even some the students too, they don't have to be just the parents, but just for those students who are, new to the technology, especially like I keep saying, when they're a newcomer, some of these kids they didn't have a technology. They don't even know what was a computer because they didn't have it back home in their home country. So just doing those basic things also, I think will help too. Definitely the community, knowing who, knowing what the family makeup is. So, so you, you're dealing with uh, two different scenarios. So if it is a newcomer, uh, many of our students in, in this, um, mostly last year that came to, to our schools, you, you have students that not necessarily are with their moms and dads. You have students that are maybe with their older siblings, an uncle, a friend of the family. Um, so you really have to understand the family dynamic to know the level of, I, I don't want to say commitment because I think that's the wrong support. word. Support that each student has because these parents might have other smaller children that they're focusing on. And so the student might, in high school especially, might be the kind of on his own. So the open lab is really, really beneficial for the student. So we, you know, orient the student on the device, walk them through, make sure they can get onto everything, make sure every teacher knows who this, that this is a new student and, and understand that they might need to troubleshoot. And then like, again, where do you go when something goes wrong? One of the things that really was huge and beneficial for our campus was we created one pagers how to access this, what, and it was images. So not only words, but images as to what it looks like, what it should like, and what if, if it doesn't look this way, again, who do you contact? All contact info. And I think, um, especially at the beginning of the year, we had just messages coming out the walls here, just in every direction. And it was really difficult to keep up with everything, but it was kind of fun and exciting because they were asking. Yes. 
They totally were. And on top of that, Elena, I know the one pagers have been huge and we've been asked to, we've been tasked with how do you do how to's like the concept of the how to, I hear that and I'm like, I, I already know about 50 more how to's I want to make, but not just one pagers, the videos. And I think having yes. not oh, videos yes. that are just showing you literally, where do you click? Where do you do this? Wait for this to finish so you can do X, Y, Z. And um, I know we've, I've produced a bunch. I, I have so many more I need to do. Uh, it's just finding the time to make sure of it. And also we want to make sure they're polished enough that it's, um, it's getting to a, what the students need or the family needs and then be marketing it out there so people know, oh, this is where I go because I could produce so many things, but if the parents and the students don't know where these things are, they're just stuck in space, literally. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I also think to that, I think schools, campus at the campus level should be putting those type of things in place and leveraging like the open labs announcements, really um, enhancing their communication uh, of how they communicate, especially now with students being virtual. Some students may be um, cl in, in class and teachers are having to teach concurrently. So effective communication, I think, is really key in keeping parents in the in the loop, uh, keeping students in the loop of the learning process. And so let's now move on to like, so there are so many challenges that we're facing with the technology. Um, you guys mentioned students um, being behind cameras, uh, or at least you had mentioned earlier about, you know, students were already shy before COVID. And then just to have another barrier of a camera and that you're hiding behind, you're hiding behind is now, you know, adding more to that layer of um, kind of being in the background and we're not sure if they're learning or not. And then also um, too, I've heard teachers say that um, when they have students who are virtual, they're English learner students, and they're also in their comfort zone of their environment where the language is where they're comfortable. And so trying to um, bring them back to what it would have been if it would, English is spoken around them uh, more often has been a challenge too, because they're at home in their first language environments. And so what can teachers do to help support this process in class or what technology can they use to kind of leverage um, the tools to help manage some of the challenges that they're going through? So the things that come to mind, instructional tools, and we'll talk a lot, you know, we'll, we're gonna allude to these from here on out for sure is, which tools do you have that provide audio as well as visual? And I mean, I say visual because we do need to have kids be brave enough to be on screen, even if it's just for the teacher to view so that they can see and hear and watch the pronunciation of things and, and read that kid. And so we've got to build a culture of trust between the student and the teacher, which is a lot harder when we're virtual with them, but it, it still has to be addressed. But also having those audio opportunities or can I just voice record myself and I don't care if the kid Googles and comes up with complete sentences and they're a, a, like a basic, they're a level one. If the kid is going to stumble through something they, they to read out loud and they're practicing it, they're getting them, themselves into that language and being able to express themselves and they get that most of it's there. And maybe the kid didn't produce all of it, but like letting that student have that opportunity to try. And if it's just only audio or visual, so those opportunities have to be presented somehow. Definitely, yes. Um, I do see that when when I was visiting campuses, a lot of students will actually go on Google Translate and just type in what they needed to do, for instance, and then they did figure out how to answer in that way. Um, a lot of times the students are fearful of not answering the right way. So they will try not to answer because they know, oh, I might get it wrong. But a lot of students, when they when they got a hang of like using tools, then they'll be more open up. Okay, just let me try if I could do a voiceover or, you know, video 
that definitely helps a lot of students. So one of the things that you said, um, Jocelyn, is that, you know, if the, the language primarily being spoken at home is Spanish or, you know, Vietnamese or whatever it is that that's being spoken and then having those opportunities. So I think number one, you know, as educators, we, it, it seems so much easier to just automatically start teaching them in their home language, um, especially at secondary level. Like, oh, let's just, it, because it's more comfortable, let's do it. But they're not going to then acquire the English language. So it, it you, you as the teacher have to make sure, as you mentioned, to, to have those opportunities. The scaffolds are really important with when that input is being provided, right? And so that's number one major. Then you start talking about what is it that we as teachers can use? The groups, having the small group function in our teams, which is what we, you know, our platform that we use in our district um, is to have the students work in the small groups because it really lowers the affective filter and it allows students to, to feel a little safer. So, you you know, your, your students, a level of language proficiency, you kind of understand where they are. OK, so let's put maybe one of, a, of one level, one of another level that's a slightly higher to kind of get them, build them, and really build a relationship. Because that's the one thing, if you have a good relationship with the with the teacher in the room, you feel comfortable, you're gonna, you know you're gonna make mistakes, but you know that that teacher's not gonna chastise you or your your colleagues, your, co uh, your peers, excuse me, <laughs> are not gonna make fun of you because, you know, especially when you're learning a language, I'm gonna tell you right now, as Latinos, we're, we're going to laugh. We're going, oh, that's not how you say the ha, ha That's just, that's our nature, right? <laughs> um, and so, uh, and, and vice versa, right? Learning Spanish, uh, same thing. Anyways, but, you know, you have the building the relationship. And so the different software, having structured conversations, the teacher plans, um, you, you create those opportunities. So then when you have that, you can, you know, the student has that STEM, uh, that language STEM that they can answer to. And then you have a, a with proficiency language uh, development rubric. So you have an opportunity then to kind of, you know, rate their language and see where they're, where they are. And then you, you have a one-on-one -on -one with the student and say, Hey, Michelle, you know, this is, this is how you're speaking. I know you just got here. You're, you're, you're right here when it comes to language. I want to get you here. This is what you need to do. So having those feedback conversations um, is really, you know, yes, the technology is huge, but like, how do you then use the technology with that feedback component? So yeah, sure. and adding to that too, um, especially if the teacher knows the language of the student, right? And it's just easier, just like, oh, let me just tell you in Spanish real quick. Um, a lot of times we just go for, that's our go-to when we are with the student. But if we don't try to use, like you said, those sentence stems, we don't try to use, you know, those visual representations for them. We try, we don't using those shelter instruction strategies within, the students are gonna come out of the language. So they're going to know, oh, I'm just going to get in Spanish. So I don't really need to listen to what she's doing because I'm going to get in Spanish later, right? Or I'm going to get it in whatever language that teacher is able to connect with me. So it's really important to try to use all those tools so the students are able not to stay as a long-term L, you know, and able to progress into their language and actually advance in, their, in, the, in the language domain. And we're talking about technology, you know, academically, but I had a teacher who I was supporting and her class, like her entire ESL class got together on WhatsApp and that's how they were surviving with each other. That was at the beginning. So like, like, like last March, because like a lot of these kids dropped off the face of the earth. 
And so some of them were also going through other bigger issues. And I, I wanna allude to that because we're talking just school, but if they're newcomers or their families that are still finding their way here in, the, in America, they, they're not necessarily thinking about school. But this teacher, she stumbled on the fact that her class got together on WhatsApp and was like, are you okay? What's going on? She mm -hmm. had a student who was working through asylum papers. She, was she had another student who was th getting threatened of being deported. They weren't worried about school. They were just like, how do I survive in America? And once they let her into that chat, it was that trust and that peace to say, okay, I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to find you the resource for that. And I need you to come do these assignments too, so we can better your language, so we can make sure you're A, you get across that stage and get that diploma to give you some credit, literally and figuratively. So it's it's also balancing that edge of life because school school is a ticket. It is a ticket and it's the one that these kids, have, uh, not every kid needs one, but even more so, we have to give those hoops and those beans. So recognizing those pieces that are gonna let them focus on the classroom is also key. So whatever other technology we can leverage in for that is what we also, you know, just being aware of what's out there for them and connecting with them in the different ways. Mm -hmm. okay, well, let's go to what's out there. And so what are some things that are out there? And we can just go ahead and move to our, our next segment which is get your tech together. And so <laughs> what can what tech can do teachers need to have in place to help support this process? And so we can be more specific with the tools and um, how they can help support some of those challenges with communicating. And also I, I was thinking when you guys were discussing this, like um, even though for those teachers who don't speak the, the native language and they're um, having to uh, still support uh, students virtually and having, and, and from my experience in, in supporting teachers, I find that some of the uh, challenges they were facing is that uh, you mentioned earlier is hiding behind the camera, not being uh, active participants in the learning. And so what tools can teachers implement to help support some of the challenges that they're going through? I think the popular goal too has been any kind of translating tool. And you know, that's that's the thing. Um, as a teacher, as an ESL teacher, I, I did have to tell my kids I didn't know the language, but I knew enough, I knew the bad words so they wouldn't try to just speak to me in just Spanish. <laughs> but, uh, and my colleagues all know this, like if I switch into Spanish, the especially with someone that I don't know, the first thing I say in, in, in Spanish is, pardon my grammar because it's it's lousy. And I am just trying to do it. And so I'm, an, I'm a language learner and I, I put it out there and I think any teacher needs to, needs to put it out there on, I'm gonna translate to figure it out to help you, but I'm a language learner and I will put myself, make you laugh at me in your language so that you can, you know, get comfortable and know that, you know, we're, it's a two-way street. But those audio things like, if are you using Audacity? Are you using Flipgrid and using the pixelated version to say, hey, you don't have to put your face out there. In the LMSs that you have, is there just an audio recording tool? Or do the kids even know on their laptop? Can they pick up the voice recorder and just play with that and then turn that in as part of an assignment or just this something? Those are the first tools that come to my mind. Yeah, um, I'll definitely say Pear Deck is one of my big ones. We all have used it as we're teaching. Um, it's great for students because if the teacher is showcasing the whole Pear Deck whose responses are, they're not seeing their name. So they're not being dinged on, oh, I put in the wrong thing or I put in the wrong answer to my to the assignment. Everybody's going to laugh at me, right? So that, like you said, we lowers the effectiveness on the students so they don't feel so, you know, un uncomfortable and certain how to answer. Um, Pear Deck now also is able to use the immersive reader 
So you just have to just turn it on. And for those beginner students or the newcomer, that's great that they're able to use that because that immersive reader, I think, is able to be embedding in a lot, a lot of different well, how about tools. For some of our listeners who may not know what immersive reader is, can you kind of explain how the immersive reader works? Yeah, so it's basically, um, it's a third party app. Um, and a lot of districts and across, you know, they're using it where depending on where the students are turning in their assignments or a platform they use in turning assignment, it reads the text for them, right? Like kind of like a, a speech, you know, reads for them. They can also select um, the translation piece of it in their na- native language. So not just for Spanish, but they have tons of different languages out there so they could click on. And then they'll read it out for them um, fast, slower, in a, a voice of a man or a woman, <laughs> whatever they feel like, right? Um, is able to, if they click on the word, it gives you that visual representation of, uh, this, of the definition of the word. So it's perfect for them too. So yes, I didn't understand this whole text that the teacher sent. If I don't want to translate it, right, I could definitely just pick up those one two words like, oh, what's this word again? And like, it, it will say it and they'll show you that visual presentation if there's anything for that. So it's great. I love it. <laughs> So I'll piggyback on both of those because I think <laughs> I think they both mentioned because when you think of the telepass, right? So they have to read, write, speak, and listen. Like those are the four parts that they've got to master, right? And you've got all different levels. And so so long as the, the teacher is using those PLDs, those proficiency language descriptor rubrics, to really give that feedback, I think both of the both of the recommendations, um, those are key. Like that text to speech, um, you know, using podcasts and audibles. Those are huge for when, you know, I'm learning to, to comprehend and read and understand words and kind of following along. Um, and then, you know, re, you know, you obviously want to record. So like Flipgrid or Vokey, that software that allows you to record. Um, but then how do you do that? So we want to explain to students because we have to teach the whole class how to use this tool, these tools, right? So my favorite is going to be, um, and I'm going to say this wrong, it's the IORod software and so what that it's an extension to chrome and so what it does um is uh you record it's like a almost like a screencast but it tells the students the learner the viewer where to click how to get there what to do and so you can record it's a voice and so you show where to click which you all know all students learning technology it's like well how do i get to and then insert uh, your learning platform, Schoology, it's learning, uh, Google Classroom, whatever it is. Where do I click? How do I get there? Where do I go next? How do I hover? You know, so this way, um, IORod uh, does the whole, it moves the mouse and the cursor and the student, the, the viewer can see, where do I click first? Now next, now third. And so it's a really cool um, how-to software. You know, you mentioned Chrome extensions, but I think in, uh, I was going to add to Arlie's point is that I would also like to share that there is a Chrome extension for Immersive Reader. And so, it's, uh, yeah, you know, Immersive yeah. Reader is uh, a Microsoft product, but of course, this is not an official Microsoft product, but it looks exactly the same and works the same. And so, if you have your students have access to Chrome, they're able to install those extensions, they can um, leverage it for any web page. And so, just about uh, for anything that they're doing, and not necessarily have to rely on Google Translate to go type in. <laughs> a message and they can do chunks of text at a time uh, without having to copy and paste. And so um, I definitely say the immersive reader is uh, they, they can find that in many of their platforms they already have. Like um, like you guys mentioned, Flipgrid It's in all the Microsoft products already. So if you're using uh, OneNote, Microsoft Word or PowerPoint, you still have those abilities to use that uh, immersive reader. 
um, and also add those extensions. And so you mentioned an extension. And what was the name of that extension again? Because I've never it's, heard of that one. It's I I O R A D I I O R A D. So I'll, I'll make sure I check that out. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so, okay. I need to check it out too. <laughs> and you know, and then, of, go ahead, Michelle. Well, it just made me think of another immersive reader that like our district already has that some people may not know about. And Kurzweil has been out there for doing reading for ages. And and so that's been that's a national tool that's been out there. But also it has a Chrome extension called Read the Web. And literally it does that. And I think it might be paid or you might be able to get a freemium version of it. I'm not 100% sure. But I know our district has it, but not a lot of people are using it. Uh, so we just have to promote that as another tool out there. So going back to what are the tools that you've used before? And is there a Chrome extension for it? Like we've been all joking, there's an app for that, but now is, is there an extension for that? Right. Is what we really need to start asking ourselves because they're there. We just don't always look at it. So when you said Chrome Web Store, I'm like, we need to go play a lot more in that store. That's the kind of shopping I think all of us need to do. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yes, I love it. And you know, it, there's so many different tools out there, but also not just with the instruction, with the communicating uh, piece with parents, even teachers leveraging um, the Google Translate themselves and having to quickly translate messages and to keep the communication piece, because there's Chrome extensions that would automatically uh, do it for you. Um, in, in or if you're using the Google Suite, you can automatically translate. Um, so if you're doing like a newsletter and you're trying to um, help support parents who are supporting their students at home, especially at the, mm -hmm. the elementary level where a lot of the support is, um, you know, with your teacher, your new teacher aide, the parent <laughs> at home. Um, and and they're having the same issues with the language barriers. And so even teachers taking that extra initiative to um leverage different tools to translate and communicate with parents to uh, have that communication back and forth. And even if the parent communicates back in their native language, they can translate it just to keep that communication going. But I don't, I, I yeah. have a lot of teachers go back and forth with that type of communication, but I definitely think that is um, something that can help support the process so that um, our student is supported all, all, I guess all the way around, not just in the classroom setting. Um, also to add to that, um, I know Microsoft has a Microsoft Translate um, it's an app or web, I can't remember right now, um, where, it's it, yeah. yeah, it's constant, like, as I'm talking to you in English, it translates automatically to the, to the person in their language that they need. They both log in in some website, like they share a link, and that's not just just have it constantly go with Google Translate, but this is on the spot, on the spot for them. So that's another one they could use too. Yeah, well, and for those kids who are still in person, yeah. for I, say, I, I've had experience when I'm supporting teachers and I'll go into the classroom and, you know, um, of course, I walk in, students are shy, they don't want to speak their language. And I'll do what you uh, had mentioned earlier about, um, you know, trying to be a language learner, too, and to make them more comfortable with it. But, you know, sometimes they say, well, I don't speak English. So, oh, no problem. I pull out my uh, my app, <laughs> my Microsoft Translate app, and they have a two-way communication piece where I can um, program their native language on the other side and have mine on that side and we can have a continuous conversation back and forth. So, uh, of course, it's more challenging virtually, but for those teachers who are still in person, they can leverage Microsoft Translate in that aspect as well. So, are there any other tools that you think um, teachers should have in their toolbox? Uh, definitely, I'll say Padlet too. Um, there's so much more they can do within Padlet. Um, you could do those, um, you know, for them to respond orally, like we talked about, right? But also they could do some, um, when they do group assignments, they need somewhere they could represent visually. So if you do, um, this is one activity I used to do for my students, where they can only use 
illustrations or pictures after they have read a text or something. So that's just a different way to just feel comfortable enough. Like this is what I understood here are my visual representation. And they could definitely do that through Padlet as well. Padlet is, you know, has so many more things that you can do within, but that'll be one tool I'll definitely add to my toolkit. I'm going to add an oldie, but a goodie. Um, because we, we talked about Pear Deck yeah. and Pear Deck is really, right. we've been, we've been using Pear Deck a lot this year. Um, and, and I, I, I love it because you, you, there's so many different applications throughout the presentation mode of it. Um, and, and it's, everybody can reach it. It's really cool. The visual stuff and, and it's really neat, but, um, Nearpod, you know, it's really, it's yes. like when you're first learning to really, or really getting confident as the, as the teacher, or even with your students, or you just want to do something different because everybody's doing Pear Deck is Nearpod. So you can do your PowerPoint presentations, lots of visuals, still lots of interactivity with the student. Um, and, and the student can't venture off anywhere because it's right there. They can't go ahead. They can't go behind you. You, you have that right there for them. And uh, I think, I think that's one of also one of my favorites. Um, the other thing too, as a teacher, I want to see that my students are following along and doing right as I'm speaking. Um, you know, OneNote's, OneNotes are great, and the shared Google Docs are also great because you can watch the action happening live, uh, at, and in the moment you can give that in you know immediate feedback because we got to think these are gamers, right? Our kids play video games, and that's all. What is it? Immediate gratification, instant gratification, and so that's what if we can as teachers give them that immediate feedback on the OneNote or the the Google Doc. Um, that's another really great tool. I agree with you on that one, Elena, because Google Slides and you assign kids slides, for example, saying, okay, get this work done. Teacher can watch it in the moment and, and give that in, that immediate feedback. And yeah, OneNote is a great tool, too. And I know that uh, Dr. Mag knows a lot about OneNote, so <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, I'm thinking. But, um, oh, nuts. Now I've totally forgotten because you had a, you gave me an inspiration. I'm gonna It's going to come back to me in about three minutes. Like, oh, this is what I meant to talk about. But, <laughs> I think there's no, another round, so you can do that. Yeah, collaborative tools, and I'm I'm sitting here going, it was it went with collaborative tools, and um, oh, YouTube. See, here's the things like yeah, we we use to for YouTube for entertainment, but the concept of a YouTube playlist. If I know my kids need to hear or see certain things, can I put together a series of videos for my kids mm -hmm. to go with, and be like, here, here's the link for it, and, and go to town finding, you know, reading through this play, uh, listening through this playlist, or watching this playlist. And yeah, my, my teacher's homework is I need to watch these videos. Uh, you know, let, let's go there if we need to, because uh, it's getting those representations that are model representations, or maybe it's literature I need the kids to hear and to see in a different way that I'm using in class. That that's that's an untapped area in my opinion of how can we use all that fun to make sure that it's being academically used for my kids and they they get what I need them to get. Right. Yeah. It can be used also for supporting parents. And so um, oh, yeah. if you can put a, a playlist together, even if it's uh, videos that maybe you created or videos you found that were uh, beneficial, that were already posted by another YouTuber, um, you can create a playlist and just share that playlist link of parental support for uh, instruction. And, and so that they can be in the loop of what the needs are or maybe you guys are exploring something new and, and it's another communication tool. And a lot of the videos may have the caption at the bottom to kind of help support it to, to reduce the speed on the video. That's the other thing I like about video is that um, if the videos are playing too fast, um, the user on the other end has the ability to adjust how fast the playback is. Um, and so if I need to stop and hear it again or hear it slower as I'm adapting to uh, learning the language, 
I, I have that uh, ability to do that. And so thank you for sharing that, Michelle. So you guys share some great things. So we talked about Flipgrid, which is an awesome tool um, for um, your English learners, especially uh, kids love it because they like to the stickers that are on there and all the cool things you can do. Um, and it's video, but they also have the audio only mode, um, which you can use. And already, like Michelle mentioned earlier, the pixelated view, but you can hear for them, give them a prompt. It has the immersive reader built in. And so if it needs to, if they need to translate to be able to participate into um, the learning, they can, but it gives them an opportunity to practice speaking or listen. Mm -hmm. So with Flipgrid that I love that you can insert videos and they can listen and you can then have them practice writing uh, separately and then go back and respond. And so Flipgrid is an amazing tool that you can use. And then we talked about Pear Deck. Of course, Pear Deck, I love it because you can sequence your instruction. And when you're done with it, you can turn it into a self-paced mode and publish it back to your, your students uh, as takeaways. Um, and also in Paradox that I like that, um, uh, that one of my other guests on the podcast mentioned that she does, that she gives private feedback. And so like when they're responding, because you can check my understanding for all. And um, she uses the private feedback feature to give feedback and not necessarily have to give the feedback in front of the whole class. You can give it back in real time, especially for those students who are on the other end of that camera who may not want mm -hmm. to be heard or fearful of joining, uh, saying something wrong. And so these are some great tools. And I hear Nearpod and uh, OneNote. Of course, I'm a fan of OneNote. Um, and it's, it's definitely a, a great tool for teachers to use um, with uh, collaborating with their students and seeing what they're doing in real time. And then, of course, the Google Suite is always awesome because you can see what they're doing in real time as well. Um, and so these are all great things that teachers can have in their digital toolbox. So let's go to our last segment of the show now, which <laughs> is the Tech Smackdown. And in the Tech Smackdown, we're going to end the show with your top three tips. And so here, and I want my audience listeners to come back and tell me who they thought had the best <laughs> tip. Uh, you can follow us at Tech It Up Talk on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and so we would love to hear who you think is going to give the best tip. And so we have Michelle, our release, Elena. You guys want to determine who goes first. We can do paper, rock, scissors if you want to. <laughs> that has been a trend. <laughs> Are you guys going to say who's going to go first with their top three tips to leave with our educators today? Um, I guess I'll say one because <laughs> it's yeah. up on the top of my head right now. Um, definitely, I'll probably use a Microsoft Whiteboard. Um, I make sure I download the desktop version and using more options. Um, I'll be able, if I do a small group, for instance, all great tools overall to do whole group. But if I need to do a small group, I need to see if I'm a math teacher and you see how my students are thinking or explaining um, the problem. As I, if they, if I could see them, I'll definitely try to use like Microsoft Whiteboard. That's just one that I could think okay. of right now. Got a whiteboard here. All right. All right, so we're gonna all like, you share one, like do round one, two, round two, round three. Yeah. Because I'll like I'll, I want to hear what else at least has to add to this. I know we're all gonna be like, oh yeah, this, oh yeah, that. So um, my top one is really is, are you in your right Chrome browser? Because you know, and Google is already the man. Google's the, just it. So if we're living in the Google Chrome browser, are you really in your Chrome browser and optimizing it so that you can either save your passwords and bookmark everything so that if you're not using your device or if you've got multiple G email addresses that you're utilizing it for. Because like I have a work Google account, I have a personal Google account, I need to separate my lives. So are teachers doing that for themselves and teaching their students to make sure they're working at school when it's at school and then do your home stuff at home so that we don't have to see it. 
um, that's that's my tip to be like just just be in the right place on Chrome and browsers and stuff to make your life, your school life and your home life more streamlined. Okay, so for this first round of this uh, lightning <laughs> round, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna revert back to my IO rad, but I'm also gonna throw in Screencastify. Um, those both are recording features. Again, if I'm trying to communicate with my students, whichever, like all students, but especially our English learners, right? I'm, I want to I want them to see what I'm doing on my screen. Uh, and let them let them view it, and it doesn't take up a lot of data. So if they're using hotspots, it's not going to kill the hotspot. Um, if they're at a cafe or whatever, it'll be you know real quick and easy. Um, so IORAD and Screencastify for how tos for your students. Okay, right, round um, two. Okay, so picking back with not having the students uh, turn on the cameras, right? And this is not something like a like a tool you need to download, but you can use PowerPoint, for instance, and make a, a nice uh, background, right? Valentine's mm, coming up. Yeah. So make the background and then it'll make something fun for them, right? And they'll be able to want to turn on the camera so they can see their faces, but they have that fun background. A lot of yeah. times they don't turn their camera on because they are scared of what they're going to see in the background of themselves. Mm -hmm. So, but if there's something that covers that behind them, you'll definitely be able to, you know, bring that piece in for them as well. So definitely that. <laughs> that was a good That is, no, and see what I like that is, is like have the kids create a background, but then they yeah. don't even have to have the camera on. Like if I, um, if I put on a background, I can uh, close my camera. So you just see my background and then I'm a voice in there. So then you just know that <laughs> there's still something there that could be fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and let's totally knock out what I was going to think about here too. So, Elena, if you've got your your second one, you want to go with? I do have my second one. Do so, it because I can't remember mine. <laughs> so, my second one, I'm going to start with an output. So, um, a really cool way to get an output, get our kids to be able to um, script. Right, we want them to write um, a storyboard. Um, using storyboard um, really provides them. It's again, it's kind of like picking your background. You pick your little your image, and then. You have, I mean, they're required to write. So they have to script everything for the storyboard. And of course you can take it a whole other level and record, but that's output, you know, that that's gonna be another form of output. But um, definitely storyboard is a really cool um, just platform where kids can create. All right. Thanks for reminding me what I was gonna say because you said the word board. So I'm also gonna put out Jamboard and I, I haven't played with Jamboard much yet. I'm still working on my learning skills, but it's there and it's incorporating that whole collaborative feature. And so, you know, also since it's kind of a Google slide deck piece, you know, you're, you're able to put in pictures, put in videos, draw on it if you want to. So it's really a good tool for putting multiple media together in one space, but it's also, but in the moment or you, a teacher can turn around and create a Jamboard where it's a manipulation tool so the students practice a concept. And this has really fun, been fun. Um, uh, Gifted Talk is one of my favorite uh, Twitter follows because she is a GT teacher. So she's going, how can we innovate the experience? And honestly, these are all things that are just good teaching. So why not use it? It's not just for GT kids, it's for any kind of student. But getting that concept of a Jamboard to manipulate either the students put stuff together or you're putting things where the kids can actually, and I keep saying kids, but our students can show and practice the learning, whether it's a manipulative version of it or putting something in together to, to show what they know. All right, round three, last round. 
Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, come up with a good one, Ada, at least. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, definitely picking back with the Flipgrid, right? I could embed Flipgrid, Flipgrid within uh, Pear Deck. But using Flipgrid, I could create a playlist. So that way I could promote more of the students' oral responses. And they will start, like, they're all TikTokers, right? They all love that. So maybe doing some sort of, like, fun way, interactive way and create the playlist so that you see all of the students, you know, be, doing their thing of whatever of a response they got to do. So definitely I'll add to that, the playlist on, on Flipgrid. <laughs> well, you're making me go back to just talking about that playlist in in, um, in YouTube, but I really want to, I, I think that that is a, a, an untapped tool because we're going to say, oh, there's a, you know, I know we've all joked there's a YouTube for that because like, there's a video for that. There's something <laughs> for that, but let's get a chance to go find those videos or making your own videos, uh, you know, to create that playlist in YouTube uh, because I think that, we're all trying to recreate the wheel, but there are wheels out there that fit. So why don't you find the one? And then if you like a, a YouTube video or you need to make your own, um, you know, we, we, I have, you know, we have a district Google account so that we have that opportunity to curate our own in that way and put those things together and put that out for our students or our families to utilize. So it is in a safe place. Um, so YouTube can be a good place if you know the right YouTube videos to find. That's, that's what I'm going to end out with. <laughs> Um, my last one for this round is going to be, um, it's going to be for an input, um, Ed Puzzle. Ed Puzzle. Yes, I was waiting for someone to spread out that one. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, so, you know, teachers um, can use, you know, any type of, you know, whether it's a TED Talk or whatever kind of video or whatever kind of a source that they want. And they can have that pause and, and interaction with the students. And again, you can watch them. It's, it's easy to set up your classes and it's a really cool and easy tool. Again, oldie but a goodie. Um, just like just like the clothes from the 90s are coming back. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> so the, to the tech tools, right? Uh, but Ed Puzzle for sure. All right. Well, thank you, ladies, so much for sharing and joining me today. Um, I'm hoping that we can inspire others uh, who may listen to this podcast to want to go out and try some of the things that we share or think about and reflect on their practices when supporting their English learners in class. And hopefully we can have, come back again and have um, another discussion because, of course, there's more to discuss and more to talk about. And so um, thank you again for joining us. But before you guys leave, if you could just share how our listeners can be a part of your network and maybe follow you um, and be a part of your network on social media. Hey, that's always great. We we need to continue this conversation. Podcasts are just one way of doing it. But uh, I am a I'm on Twitter and uh, it's at Science Lab Girl. That's where you can find me. That's pretty much my main place. And that's because I was a science lab teacher uh, right after I became. And that's where I got to learn um, how to deal with kids, both regular, well, all three ways, mainstream, ESL, and bilingual. Because that's that's what who I met in my classroom, and it was more fun. So at Science Lab Girl, all normal spelling. <laughs> Uh, for me, it will be Twitter as well. Um, the best way to find me is a Barreto Paz, you know, all together. Um, from Arelis Barreto Paz will be basically that. And that's the best way to find me as well. <laughs> um, I too am Twitter. And it's at because I said so. Uh, not spelled the normal way. It's because I said so. Um, but yes, so it's at because I said so. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. But thank you guys for joining me today. And I look forward to uh, sharing this with others and getting feedback and seeing who gave the top tips. And so thank you again for listening and taking me not always be easy, but it sure is fun. Mm -hmm.
Thanks so much, Doc. Thank you for listening to the Tech It Up Talk podcast with Dr. Mack, your host with the most passion for supporting educators on using and implementing technology. Be sure to connect with me on the Tech It Up Talk Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram at Tech It Up Talk or at Dr. J.E. McDonald. Now, I know teching may not always be easy, but it sure is fun. 